Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Debbie, it's number 13. The DeerInTheHeadlights.com. That's right. Go to DeerInTheHeadlights.com, Debbie's new website. No, it's Charismatic Chaos Part Two. Give it up for Debbie. She came in there and just swung it around. Finish strong. That's what's important. Finish strong. That's right. Part two, of course, is the untold history of the charismatic movement, and that's what we're dealing with. Uh, much of the charismatic movement, you know, would say that what we're seeing that uh, is out of the scripture, out of bounds of the scripture, the reason why it, it seems weird is because it's the latest movement of God. No, it's not. This is part two of the history. We've been demonstrating. No, it's been going on for a long time. It's nothing new. But they want to say that all of it happened at this event. Uh, at the, after 1900, 1906, Azusa Street. And then after that, we saw they begin to split and spread. Now, why are there so many splits and then they begin to spread out with so many splits? Because what's the premise? I got a new word from God outside the word of God. That's the beginning of every heresy, every false teaching, etc. when you get outside the Bible. So the premise is that. And then, of course, this person said, oh, yeah, well, God told me this. Oh, yeah, but he told me that. No, but he told me, or I had this vision, I had this dream. And no wonder it, it begins to split. So after that, they begin that. Then they begin to birth denominations. We saw Oneness Pentecostal in 1914. Uh, the Oneness Pentecostal doctrine is you have to be baptized to be saved. Is that biblical? No, that's a works-based salvation. Uh, not only that, you have to be baptized by one of their people in order to be saved. Is that biblical? Plus, this started in 1914. Does that mean nobody got saved before you arrived on the scene in 1914? It's ridiculous. But then you also have to speak in the gibberish in order to be saved. And all that turns into a works-based salvation, which is not salvation. That's a serious issue. That's why we're dealing with this study. Then we began to take a look at another denomination that rose the exact same year, the Assembly of God and the multitude of people coming out of that. And uh, we took a look at uh, uh, many examples. And of course, we left off with uh, Benny Hinn the last three times. But before we got to Benny Hinn, uh, we dealt with uh, the people that he said he went to their graves and felt an incredible anointing. And people even got healed at these dead people's graves. Last time I checked, when you're dead, you're dead and there ain't nothing oozing off you okay <laughs> I love an anointing but he said uh, Amy Semple McPherson who was the founder uh 1927 of the Foursquare denomination uh then we dealt with Catherine Kuhlman 1933 and again he learned Benny Hinn learned his techniques from these even dressing in white uh anyway like mother like son to use a phrase and then of course Benny Hinn we saw uh, unfortunately false teachings false prophecies and what did we see last time according to the bible if somebody claims to be a prophet of God they get it wrong even one time what are you supposed to do shut them off and we just dealt with the false prophecies the multitude of them just in the 90s I mean he should have been shut off a long time ago unfortunately he gets to continue on today because people don't do what the Bible says to do they keep getting a free pass now that brings us up to the 1950s so that brings us to the next thing that we're going to deal with and that is in the 1950s after Amy Semple McPherson then came Catherine Kuhlman here comes Benny Hinn he learns all those techniques and here it is the 1950s healing revivals now can God heal we've been through this so many times I always have to clarify this because people say you mean to tell me God God can heal he can do whatever he wants to do he's God he can heal anything he wants and me personally when I pray for somebody I pray trusting God can heal there's with no doubt I leave the results with him right and uh but that's not what these people are doing as we're going to see tonight these people again just picked up where these guys would invite people to come to their facility and supposedly 100% guarantee get a healing of course you got to give some money unfortunately okay and they they said come to our facility okay this time frame they basically went on the road okay and went into tents 
was this. They basically became traveling. So they took that traveling is the era that we're going to talk about tonight. But before we get to that point, again, let's take a look. The premise is 100% of the time, it's always guaranteed that God's going to heal you of any affliction you ever have as a Christian. Is that true? No. Okay, let me just give you one. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And just give you a couple of quick examples. As you turn there, Paul, of course, the, uh, the first and second Timothy, Titus, or it's called the pastorals. These are typically towards the end of Paul's life. And he's uh, training young Timothy and then later Titus, young pastors. And basically he's, you know, all words are important. All the scripture's important. And, uh, but these are, these are considered, you know, this is part of the, before Paul dies. And in fact, he even talks about before we get there, we're going to look at verse, uh, starting with verse 19 at the end. Uh, but before that, he even talks about, Hey, Timothy, keep preaching the word of God in season, out of season. Don't budge from that. Uh, there's going to come a time when people are basically going to turn away from doctrine. They're going to turn away from the Bible. They're going to turn aside to myths. They're going to make up stories. Is that happening today? Yeah. Yeah. We've been seeing that. Uh, then he says, listen, I'm even being poured out like a drink offering. Paul is getting ready to die. He, he, he kind of seems to give the indication it's about time to wrap things up. And we know from church history uh, that Paul was decapitated. He, was, he couldn't have been uh, crucified uh, because uh, a Roman citizen, Paul was a Roman citizen, you couldn't do that. So, but they, they chopped his head off. So d- did that happen because Paul didn't have enough faith? Did he not sow a seed into somebody's ministry to keep him from that trial because you're guaranteed perfect health and perfect wealth? And no. Right. So and then so he's talking about that. He's talking about the trials he's going through, what's coming. He's probably going to die. Right. And uh, and then he gets in there and he's giving his final greetings and he just drops a little bomb in there. Watch this. Verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. And here he says, and I left Trophimus what? Driving a Mercedes in Miletus because he sowed a seed to my ministry. And uh, that's what happens 100 percent of the time. Because, you know, you give that and it, 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 it's, a, it's a mathematical formula. God's going to give a hundredfold or whatever. Or if you listen to uh, the false teacher, Paula White, uh, depends on what verse, apparently in the Psalms, you know, one week it's Psalm 39, 17. And uh, that means if you sow a seed of $39.17, then God's going to bless you. Remember that? Remember that baloney? And then apparently when times get tough, you crank it up to Psalm 150 for some strange reason. <laughs> you got to give more money in, whatever. Okay, but Paul left Trophim, uh, um, he left him in a Trophimus sick in Miletus. Well, how could that happen? If this is guaranteed 100% of the time, you're never going to go through hard times and troubles. That's a bunch of baloney, right? Again, we've already been through this before in our first half when we're dealing with the spiritual gifts. But again, we're getting specifically into the healing, healing revivals. We're not saying that God can't heal. He can heal whatever he wants. But that's not what these people are saying. They're saying 100% of the time, especially if you give money and they're being dishonest. We'll see that tonight, okay? And again, I don't have time to get into all the different passages. We'll probably deal with that moving forward. Of, of You're going to suffer as a Christian. Have you learned that? In fact, take heart tonight. How many guys are going through a hard time right now? All right. How many, man, most of the hands. Okay, how many guys? It's actually one of those times it's, at least this week or maybe today, it's not too bad. Raise your hand. Well, hey, be encouraged. It's coming. 
That's just what happens. Jesus never promised us. In fact, the scripture says uh, you're going to be persecuted. In fact, I'll just read Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when uh, people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is the reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets of old. It's going to happen. You live for Jesus, they're coming after you. The enemy's coming after you. It's not going to be easy. So this whole idea that somehow you become a Christian, you're guaranteed perfect health and perfect wealth, and it's just, especially if you give somebody some money, what a life from the pit of hell. And it's so obvious, and we've been seeing even the lost know this, and they're much quicker to call these people out on the carpet uh, than unfortunately we are, okay? So God can heal, but again, let's take a look at the faulty premise that, oh no, it's every single time, especially if you give money. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, uh, again, this healing revival time that went on in the 50s. And it actually began accredited in June 1946. So you're dealing with post-World War II era. Continued for about the next 15 years or so. And it was uh, another event along with, we saw with Amy Simple McPherson and Catherine Coleman that kind of projected uh, much of the charismatic movement into more mainstream Christianity. Uh, During this time, actually, Billy Graham was hitting the road. September 1947, uh, but he was not directly affiliated with a lot of these healing tent revival people, okay? Uh, in fact, uh, many of the charismatic community look at this period in the 1950s as this awesome, incredible time frame when this incredible movement of God was going on, and it's like, okay, we'll take a look at that in a second. Uh, but, but the uh, uh, charismatic uh, extremist guy, I'll use that word, John Crowder, we've seen some things about him before, uh, he called this time frame, this period, the most extensive public display of miraculous power in modern history. Really? Well, first of all, we may have a whole study on this guy. I don't know. We'll see. We've already seen some of his heresies already. But uh, you tell me if I should listen to anything this guy has to say, uh, certainly about his synopsis of this time frame. Let me just give you a little taste of what comes out of this guy's mouth today. Uh, Lord, I love it. Lord, thank you, Father, for more of the heavy, weighty, drunken glory in this house today. That's my favorite little bit of you, Jesus. <laughs> Is the bliss is the joy, hoy, hoy, hoy. You know, Isaiah 35, it says, you will be overtaken by joy. That means taken over by joy. That means possessed by joy. Hoy, 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 hoy. Oh, my goodness. I'm here with John Crowder. I firmly believe in token the ghost, right? <laughs> I have a little Jehovah Wana. And so we just, <laughs> I have to, and the thing is, it's free. You just reach in your pocket. <laughs> Wow, look at what's there. You just hit a little, <laughs> a little, a little whiff of the glory. And you, <laughs> exhale. I'm just going to give you a little second hand right through the video screen, all right? Time and space are not an issue. This is a heavenly realm, all right? So you just access point right here. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. <laughs> there is no high like the most high. Oi, oi, oi is right. You got to be kidding me. Wow. Comparing God's spirit to getting high and drunk. Man, no wonder the world laughs at us. Amen? Unfortunately. All right? Now, because of this and this revival back in the 50s, uh, people even back then tried to call this out because you're going to see how bankrupt a lot of this behavior was. Again, God can heal, but that's not what was going on with these guys, the headliners. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, a lot of people during that time rejected the entire so-called healing revival as a hoax. They condemned it uh, as a uh, charismatic cult. 
Uh, and, uh, but again, a lot of people came that we even know of today, you might have heard their names, came out of this era. Uh, people like Oral Roberts, familiar with him? Uh, Lord willing, our next study will be all, I think, just on him, if I can make it through this tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, uh, mainly tonight, William Branham was another big headliner. In fact, he's the one that gets the credit for really uh, popularizing this. This guy is one of the biggest sources of false teaching. Still under uh, uh, 2 million people plus still listen to this guy, even though he's been long dead. But he's basically right there in the middle is William Branham. Right next to him, the taller guy, uh, is uh, Oral Roberts. Okay, But these are the, the pillars of this time frame, this big healing revival that was supposed to be taken on during that time. Uh, William Branham, we'll see later, he died in 1965 in a car accident. Uh, and because of that, Oral Roberts, uh, he continues on. He becomes the most still to this day popular figure out of this movement, mainly because he outlived the other guy. Uh, but the historians give it more credit to Branham as the one that really popularized this movement. Uh, another source uh, of inspiration from William Branham, another popular guy, uh, uh, inspired this guy, T.L. Osborne. If you're familiar with him, he died in 2013, uh, a worldwide crusade ministry. Uh, a bunch of other smaller ministries came out of this time frame. And then another guy came out of that. This guy that was popular during that is a guy named Jack Coe. Okay, he died in 1956. 1956, again, this started in the right post-World War II, 1946, lasted throughout the 50s. This year, 1956, was considered the heyday. This is when it was in high gear before it started to go downhill, and we'll get into the reason why it kind of dissipated. Okay, but this guy, John Coe, uh, again, big on uh, not just healing, that it's guaranteed, okay, which we saw, that's not even scriptural. Uh, God can heal, but it doesn't mean every single time. Uh, but he was out there just like Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and he says, you shouldn't even take medicine or visit doctors, right? Well, he got in trouble for that. Uh, oh, by the way, once again, you see a pattern with all these guys' behavior here. Uh, they all seem to, what do they do with their money? And I quote, he was accused of having an extravagant lifestyle and home. Anybody starting to see a pattern here? You rip people off of their cash with a false teaching, and you live very well. The only people getting rich on your guaranteed rich false teaching is you. Okay, but he was actually arrested uh, during this time in 1955 uh, at a revival service in Miami, Florida, because he told the parents of a three-year-old boy that their son had been healed of, here it is, polio. Okay, that's what he said at this revival meeting. Uh, Coe then told the parents to remove the boy's leg braces. However, the boy was not cured. Turned to somebody and say, shocker. Okay, uh, and uh, they uh, removed, by removing the braces, it left their son in constant pain. As a result, Coe was arrested on February 6, 1956. He was charged with practicing medicine without a license, which is a felony in the state of Florida. Uh, the, the judge did uh, dismiss the case, but it wasn't long after that he died. But listen how he died. In November, a few months after the charges were dismissed, Coe became sick while in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Stop right there. I mean, you're saying guaranteed healing, right? Is, what are you doing getting sick? Same repeated behavior, folks, I'm telling you. Uh, he returned to Texas, underwent a tracheotomy to help his breathing after his muscles became paralyzed. So they're going, what's going on here? He was diagnosed with, this is just right after the thing with the kid, polio. So not only you didn't heal that boy, and you went to court over it, he died of it. Just a few months later. Now, I'm not going to say this is judgment of God, but it's sure kind of interesting to me, right? 
And, uh, but he died in Dallas. He was only 38 years old. Now, after him, okay, uh, another guy rose up, this guy, A.A. A. Allen. Okay, he died in 1970. He actually bought Coe's tent. Okay, so he had a good gig going. Don't want to let a good tent go to waste. So this guy buys it and he takes off. Now listen to this guy's background, right? So um, he, he basically grew up in the Assembly God atmosphere. He, he was ordained. He began to pastor a small church in Colorado. Then he pastored a larger church in Texas. Uh, and then in Texas, he attends Oral Roberts, one of his healing meetings, right? So he gets the idea, well, I can do this. And so he starts doing it. So he was kind of influenced on that. He established a large following and he became one of the first ones in this era to develop a huge national TV ministry, which basically was videotaping what was going on with their, these so-called tent revival meetings. But take a look. I'm just going to give you a quick example. The same chicanery, the same techniques. He even dresses in white. It looks to me like we saw the same techniques of manipulation with Amy Simple McPherson and Catherine Coleman and Benny Hinn. But here he is in action, right? Notice the technology back in the day. They didn't have these nifty microphones like this. They had to put them around his neck, and that's why you hear it going a lot. But whatever. He was doing the best he could. Let's take a look. How many believe God's greater than cancer? Do you believe that he is? How many believe he's greater than all sickness, all disease, and all infirmity? Here's the little brother that's only given a few weeks to live. They haven't told him till tonight what's wrong with him. Back in this invalid section, I said it's not right to tell that man to let him believe that he's just got stomach trouble or some minor disease. When the doctors have already told him he's dying, he'll soon be dead. I said, you tell him the truth. Because if I pray for him, I'm going to command the cancer go. Go from this man's body. Go from his body. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, my Lord. Heal this man. My God set him free. In the name of Jesus, God, we ask. For the glory of God. Is it done? You believe it's done? What? He believes He believes it's done. In the name of Jesus, jump up from there and start running. Sorry, I don't buy it for a second. Another staged event as we saw before. Now, can God heal cancer? He can heal whatever he wants. I'm not convinced that obviously that was legitimate. Oh, by the way, if you want to cover your tracks, make sure you get somebody who uh, can't speak English. Whatever. Uh, all the way, and you know it's a bunch of uh, baloney. Listen to this. Alan's healing ministry, ministry was facilitated by the use of, he got a word from God. God told him what was wrong with these people. Are you kidding me? By prayer cards. In, obtained in advance from those requesting prayer and healing. A bunch of chicanery, right? We saw that before. Uh, anyway, whatever. Uh, he was a big preacher also of the prosperity gospel. Again, he was the one that prospered. He was arrested in 1955 for a suspicion of drunk driving in Knoxville, Tennessee. His associates claimed that he was occasionally drunk even after Knoxville and his staff constantly covered for him. 
again, he bought the tent. Now, this tent held 22,000 people that he got from Jack Coe after he passed away with polio. And, uh, and then uh, he was one of the first evangelists during this time to call poverty a spirit. Really? The uh, Bible says that Jesus became poor for our sake, right? To give us something better than money. It's called salvation, right? But it was, what? Are you saying Jesus was under a, a demon spirit or something? What? This is a bunch of baloney, folks. So he's the one that kind of started that. He also believed in God's ability to, quote, perform miracles financially. Again, if God wants to do a miracle, he don't need your money. He can do whatever he wants to do, right? Uh, but anyway, works out great for that guy. But at his peak, he appeared on 58 radio stations every day, 43 TV stations. His Arizona headquarters had 2,400 acres. He had his own airfield. And, uh, but once again, the pattern, uh, few of his supposed miracles ever underwent scrutiny of physicians. And listen to this, I'm not making this up. At his revivals in small print, a disclaimer was handed out that said, quote, A.A. Allen Revivals Incorporated assumes no legal responsibility for the veracity of any such report. What? But this is supposed to be from God's guaranteed, whatever. Allen did not like press coverage. He hired, quote, goon squads to punch out anyone who showed up at Allen's tent revivals with a notepad or a camera. Uh, Again, another one of his theme, when people came against him, he characterized him as dead formal denomination religion. And the same thing goes on today. It's called character assassination. If you and I were to disagree with some people, we're not saying that God can't heal. We're not saying that God can't do miracles. Uh, we're just calling this stuff out that people are getting ripped off as false teaching heresy because it is. But what's, what happens? Instead of going to the Bible and say, well, let's deal with this biblically. Are you kidding me? Oh, you're a, you're a heresy hunter. You're one of those religiosity people. You're under the spirit of dead religion. Eh, whatever. So he, he was resorted to that. 1967, he and his wife were divorced. Uh, Alan died at Jack Tar Hotel in San Francisco, California in 1970 at the age of 59. He died after a heavy drinking binge. His successor is this guy who took over his ministry, Don Stewart. I'm guessing that is a, a miracle prayer healing cloth. If you send in a donation right now, right? Because when you talk that way, apparently it's more spiritual. And if that doesn't work, Ruth, what you do is you put a uh, on the end of each word. The healing uh from the Bible uh is send in the money uh, now uh, whatever so uh, he took over but listen to this this guy was accused of cleaning up the evidence of his mentor a.a allen uh at his death scene in san francisco before the police arrived you didn't want to look but nonetheless the police found around the body the room was strewn with pills and empty liquor bottles and a coroner report included uh, that Allen died from liver failure brought on by alcoholism, and when he died, his blood alcohol content was 0.36, which was, quote, enough to ensure a deep coma. So after him, right, so he picked up his tent from Alan Coe, right? Well, Don Stewart, he takes over um, this guy's ministry, A.A. Allen's, and he gained possession of Allen's organization. He renamed Allen Miracle Life Fellowship International to Don Stewart Evangelistic Association and later just, hey, Don Stewart Association, okay? But let's get back to the healing revival again during the 50s. So back in the 1956, again, this is the heyday, uh, there were 49 separate, obviously I'm not going through all of them, I'm just hitting some of the highlights, 49 separate guys out there doing their thing. By 1960, the number of evangelists holding national campaigns dropped less to a dozen. 
It's like, Roar. so all of a sudden there's a steep drop off and it's heyday. And what happened? Factors that led a roll into it basically dying out were, shocker, fundraising methods. Seeing a pattern here? Yeah. Uh, sensationalism. Yeah. And, quote, doctrinal conflicts. Can I translate that for you? False teaching. People begin to see through it. Like, you guys are a bunch of snake oil salesmen. Uh, but anyway, but this was part of, again, much of this uh, extreme charismatic false teaching behavior spreading uh, throughout the world. Uh, and again, even today, they're saying, man, we just, we got to have people like this come back on the scene. No, we don't. You did enough damage the first time. We don't need this again. Uh, but again, unfortunately, they are going uh, today, like we saw with Benny Hinn. And Lord willing, we're going to get in some, to some of the modern day guys, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar. Always found that that was an interesting last name. Okay. But they are saying, listen, these guys on record, and this is a direct quote. They talk about, you know, we, we've got to have, have this kind of behavior. Because, quote, you simp- this is a direct quote. You simply cannot have a salvation-only message. I'll repeat that again. This was alarming to me. You simply cannot have a salvation-only message. Really, so I need your chicanery. I need that show right now. I can't just preach the gospel. People don't need the gospel. You simply can't just preach the gospel. Wow. Say it again. God can heal. He can do whatever he wants. But that's not what these people are doing. Okay, ripping people off, false teachers, certainly in the last days. All right, but let's get back to this guy, the big guy that really started off, William Branham. Big, big, major, mega source of false teaching, right? Uh, He was born in 1909. He died again in 1965. Car wreck. We'll get to that, hopefully. Uh, And uh, again, he was the one that was uh, uh, really uh, helping to launch this tent ministry healing revival during this period but he was also what was considered one who really pushed this idea which is called uh, restorationism right now restorationism they still use it today by the way many camps especially when you break off and this splits breaks off of this place and this one breaks breaks off because the, the what it means basically is we're trying to restore christianity to a more pure version and unlike today with all this dry, still religious orthodoxy and as if studying the Bible's bad. Uh, uh, and then, and, hey, I've been to services about boring you to tears. Uh, but you know what? I'd rather be at a Bible service that was a little bit boring, but they were teaching the Bible than one that had a bunch of antics teaching false teaching. Give me a break. So get some coffee. And I'm not talking Sunday here. Hopefully we don't have to do that. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, but restorationism is a, is a mindset. We, that's the panacea. We've got to get back. And it isn't just get back to the early church. That sounds great. But what they mean by it, we've got to get back to the early church and, and have all those things happen that the early church did with the apostles and the prophets. And as we saw before, I don't need a new word from God. What do I got? I got it right here. I don't need somebody come up to me. You, God told me to tell you. And as we saw before, the apostles and prophets for that time, they were given special abilities that are not in function for today because they were validating the switch from the Old Testament to the New Testament, right? But, but that's what they mean. So you got to have prophets today. You got to have apostles today. And much of that community again believes that. But he was, the Branham guy, he was the guy that's credited that kind of mindset really starting to take off. That's what we're doing here. We're bringing the church back to a more pure period, right? Well, think about it, folks. The whole idea that you can have, not only today, uh, quote, a modern day apostles and modern day so-called prophets. Um, did you know there's a bunch of cults that bank on that mindset too? Bible says, no, nope, that was for them. We got all we need right now. Sure word from God's called the Bible, right? 
but when you say, no, no, we need to open that up again today, contrary to God's word, uh, then you end up with cults. Uh, let me give you an easy example. It rhymes with Mormons. I've said this till I'm blue in the face. If you were there, we dealt with our Mormon study. What's the whole premise of Mormonism? They got a new word from God. Joseph Smith was what? He was a prophet of God. Joseph Smith, when we looked at it, Joseph Smith was, if you will, to use the modern term today, he was a charismatic. Okay, but he got outside the scripture, right? Joseph Smith today, they believe, Mormons believe, that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God to, quote, restore the primitive apostolic church established by Jesus. Remember that was the whole premise? He said every single denomination of his day was wrong. Only he had the truth. Remember that? Well, that's the same mindset they're being pushed today. No wonder we got so many false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, false teachings. Give me a break. Uh, And according to Smith, he had visions. He had dreams. God appeared to him. Even angels visited him. Remember that? It's all a bunch of baloney. But again, you go down this route, you open up Pandora's box. He had new revelations, which ended up in the chicanery of the Book of Mormon and their other writings. Remember that? And this is what I've said too. If God has really given us a new word that these people would have a premise, then we're doing a disservice to the church because we need to start printing out a new New Testament. Right? Think about it. Joseph Smith did it with the Book of Mormon, which is heresy, right? But think about it. Why aren't you doing a new New Testament if this is really true? Hopefully they don't go down that route. Smith also is considered uh, the first prophet appointed by Jesus in the, the, he even used this term, latter days. Right? And every subsequent apostle and church president of the Mormons uh, serves in the capacity as prophet, seer, and revelator. What does that sound like? What community? Same thing, folks. Well, that's, was, you, know, you open up Pandora's box. Same thing we saw with the Seventh-day Adventists. Ellen G. White, remember? I'm not going to go preach that whole study again. It's supposed to be what? A prophetess. She got a word from God. She had a new truth, a new revelation, right? Developed yet another cult. Another works-based false salvation. Worldwide Church of God under the leadership of Herbert uh, Armstrong, right? Same kind of mindset. They're restoring the new church because everybody else has got it wrong. Only they got a private insight knowledge to God. Jehovah's Witnesses. How many do we got to bring up, right? What's the whole premise of Jehovah's Witnesses? And I quote, they develop their teachings, false teachings, and they're not Bible translation. It's a perversion, the New World Translation, but it's their teachings are considered what? An improved restoration of first century Christianity. You understand? This mindset of restoration. They're a restorationist. We, this is what we're doing to restore the church back to its more pure roots and you open up Pandora's box. But again, this is what's going on today. Uh, even today, you got new movements because this is when, again, I said it before, I say it again. When you get outside the word of God, and you rely on somebody said this or somebody had a so-called vision or some God told me to tell you, nobody's ever gonna agree. This is where we are unified. This is where we have a sure word. We know you stick with this, man, you can't go wrong because God doesn't lie, right? We don't need a new revelation from God. All you need, past, present, future. He tells us the baton. One third of this book is about the future. You don't need somebody saying, I ate a sandwich today and an angel landed on my leg and I was drawn with a crayon and my hand went out of control and drew a picture of your cat. And you, I don't need to hear any of that stuff. Just read the Bible. God tells you what's going to happen in the future. It's a bunch of baloney. But people rely on that. And of course, it's in man's court. Man will never disagree. Because again, that person had a vision. But that vision says it contradicts this vision. Well, I need to split off from you. You're a heretic. And then they have that. And then soon enough, they begin to split. Well, then God told me to tell you. And then that's not what he told me. Well, then they split. You wonder why there's so many different denominations? It's because of that. If everybody would stick to Bible and not in just the Bible, you wouldn't have all this today. 
But that's being promoted today as if that's true spirituality, true Christianity. That's what we've got to do. That's the answer. No, it's not. All right? Uh, the, I don't even have time to get this. British New Church Movement, Shepherding Movement, the Apostolic Prophetic Movement, the Church of God. All this comes from that mindset. And it just keeps going on today, unfortunately. But it also leads to what Jesus warned about. I think this mindset has everything to do, believe it or not, with the future. Matthew 24, remember that? And don't have time to turn there. But Jesus said the first thing before he warned about wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, signs in the sky. What did he say? What are some signs of your coming? Right? Talking about his second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. He said, watch out, number one, that no one what? Deceives you. Says it there in Matthew 24 at least, I think, three times. Deceit, deceit, deceit. One of the major characteristics in the last days is deceit. Why? Because that's what the enemy does. He doesn't want people to know the truth. So they should know that if you're not saved, you need to get saved now. So you don't go into the seven-year tribulation. Certainly, so you don't go into hell. Right? But Matthew 24, he says, watch out, no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Christ. And you're going like, well, how could they fall for that? Because the Bible is very clear, right? Acts chapter one says what? When Jesus was ascending to the right hand of the father, what did he say? The angels appeared and they said what? This same Jesus you're seeing right now, he's what? He's gonna come back the same way, right? So it's not gonna be some secret event. He's not gonna be some, you know, he, you know God told me to tell you. No, it's gonna be obvious, right? But that's, just, that's what you get if you read the Bible. But you think, well, how could people f- fall for a false Christ. How could they fall for somebody saying, and, and some of these people even say that they are, you know, uh, the Messiah, right? How could people even fall for that? A basic reading of the Bible tells you that ain't Jesus. That's not how he's coming back, right? It's this mindset that, you know, well, I, I know it says that there, but see, I have a new revelation. I'm a prophet of God. God told me to tell you, right? Now, let me give you some examples of this, and it's going on today. Let me get, right? How do you get people like this arrive on the scene, right? This guy is Henry Cristo. We've talked about him before, okay? In 1969, at the age of 21, he began his public life as a self-professed prophet, right? He's got a new revelation from God, right? He established what's called the New Mystical Order, which he calls the formalization of the promised kingdom of God on earth. Man, that sounds fantastic, okay? Now, but again, how can anybody, and of course, if you dress like Jesus, that makes you Jesus, and that's always obvious, right? <laughs> Whatever. But let me just pull you out. Again, this is the mindset. When you get outside the word of God, you don't listen to what God says. People can dupe, be duped. And this is the basis of that mindset that we're dealing with uh, outside the Bible. God told me to tell you, right? Let me give you a little bit more on this guy. This guy's from Brazil. He was actually born Alvaro Thais to Roman Catholic farmers uh, who said that as a child, he, quote, started to obey a powerful voice that spoke in his head. First mistake first mistake danger danger will robinson right okay but again is that being promoted today right that must have been god that must no it's, anyway whatever let's continue on he not only claims to be jesus christ reincarnated uh, are we reincarnated is reincarnated no it's not we dealt with that in our hinduism study hebrews nine twenty seven: is appointed man to die once then face judgment you don't keep coming back again and again uh and oh when jesus come back is he going to be reincarnated no, Jesus was resurrected. He's got the same body. He's coming back visibly. He's not going to be from Brazil. Okay, but let's move on. It gets worse than that. He's actually out there duping people. People are falling for this guy. Well, and you think, well, how could that happen? Because they're not reading the Bible, right? Uh, he's in, Francis stated, quote, Christ has come back on earth. This guy. No, that's not how he comes back, right? And today, I'm not making this up. He travels around with an entourage of ladies making, I'm not making this up, Brazilian pop songs, to promote his ministry while he rides around on a scooter. 
And they actually think he's Jesus coming back. Really? But just in case, let's be fair. Let's take a look at some evidence that he's Jesus and his hot chicks on a motorcycle singing Brazilian pop songs. See, you think I'm making this up. I'm not. Here's one of their songs. All right, maybe he is. I don't know. That's pretty convincing to me. What? Yeah, whatever. Are you kidding me? You got yeah. I want that album. So now I want the, the, the bat wings, man. You ride a bike that late? It looked like a, a an angel of God riding that motorcycle. Now, folks, this is absolutely crazy. I mean, uh, again, we, we laugh at this because it seems funny, but I don't know about you. Acts 1, I'll quote it to you. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way uh, you've seen him go into heaven. How do you get any clearer than that? Quote, in other words, it's going to be a visible appearing of the exact same Jesus come from the sky, not on a scooter with hot chicks wearing fake wings on the back of a motorcycle singing pop songs in Portuguese. How does this guy even get any airtime? It's that mindset. You go outside the Bible. God told me I'm a prophet of God. Yeah, once you open up that Pandora's box, man, phew-wee, people are going to be duped. And that's being promoted heavily today. Dare I say, listen, just in time for the seven-year tribulation. Because nobody can be duped if you stick with the Bible. But see, this whole movement is saying get out of the Bible. Right? That's the big danger. That's why we keep doing with this. Now, it still goes on to today. They literally just not only take verses out of context, but they just make it up as they go, All right? Let me give you a recent so-called, uh, 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 semi-recent uh, charismatic prophecy that went out uh, in Texas, okay? And did you know that I-35 really means Isaiah chapter 35? Wish I was making that one up too. Let's watch that. The cars and trucks rush up and down Interstate 35 every day. A ribbon of road that cuts the nation in half and goes all the way from Laredo in the south to Duluth in the north. A number of Christians have come to believe because of recent prophecies, dreams, and visions that I-35 is the highway spoken of in Isaiah 35, verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the Way of Holiness. Jeff Baldwin, college and career pastor at Dallas's Heartland Ministries. There's been very specific cities given in these prophetic words to say, go to these cities and cry out for holiness and purity, and I'll come down, and I'll invade. And all those cities were along the I-35 corridor. And now dozens of Midwest ministries have linked arms to pray these prophecies are soon fulfilled, and they've set aside 35 days to concentrate on I-35. We have 17 24-hour prayer rooms going on. Two of the main organizers are prophetic intercessor Cindy Jacobs and Heartland senior pastor Steve Hill, famous for his evangelizing in the Brownsville revival. What do we expect to see? We expect laws to be changed in cities. We expect righteous leaders. 
We expect a movement, a reformation that will literally sweep the face of the earth. There's something happening. There's a shift in the heavenlies. I believe we're moving angels and demons right now. I agree there's a shift taking place. It's called you're shifting off of this. Folks, come on. Contextually, Isaiah was written. Who is he talking to? Israel. Is Israel the same thing as the church? The church wasn't even in existence until 500 plus. How many centuries later? Isaiah can't. And by the way, did you know that Isaiah 35 does not mean a highway? Okay, let's let's put that to the test. I mean, if that's going to be, I'll show you how crazy it can get. If that really is how you interpret the Bible, man, we're in big trouble. Because I followed that line of reasoning in my investigative research. I discovered that in Isaiah 15, now that's important because you and I know not far from this facility, we are right next to I-15. So it has to be Isaiah 15. And I'm not making up. You can look at this yourself. In Isaiah 15, it actually says this statement. Every head is shaved and every beard is cut off. And see, right now, God is telling me to tell you that we have to go to the stores of church and we need to buy some razors. We need to shave our heads, shave our beards, shave our armpits. Ladies, don't you have the faith? And revival's going to bust out. We do that for 15 days, man. Ooh. Now, we laugh at that, but that's the premise of that. And that made it on TV. And you wonder why people laugh at us. And folks, the world is laughing at us. Because you go down this route, I mean, people see anything, say everything, whatever. They see, they make stuff up that's completely out of context. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, how many times have you hear, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus on a French fry. So you think I'm making it up? Watch this. A local woman in the California capital says she was cooking dinner for her husband when she suddenly noticed the crispy crucifix, adding that she's never seen anything like it in her 88 years on the planet. No word on whether Jesus Christ on a French fry will follow the path carved by Jesus Christ on an oyster, Jesus Christ on a fish stick, and Jesus Christ on a pierogi and wind up on eBay. The world is laughing at this mindset. You wonder why it's hard to witness nowadays? Okay. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, uh, that, let me just give you a couple other examples. Did you know this person was encouraged in their life because they saw Jesus on a chip? Here it is. She discovered the chip as a sign that their family is doing something right. I mean, I don't know, but she, can you see it, guys? I mean, that's, that's obvious. That's, because, see, that's how God communicates today. Forget this. This is old-fashioned fundamentalism. What do you get, a spirit of religiosity? Come on. God speaks to us through Lay's potato chips. This is the new movement of God now, right? Okay. Anyway, and it's not only that their family's doing something right, it's obviously an indication here, uh, but they also apparently need to stop smoking. Smoking what? <laughs> I kid you not. Quote, this strengthens my faith, she said. It makes me believe even more. So not the Bible, right? Reading the word of God is what increases your faith, strengthens your faith. But a potato chip, a burnt potato chip. Wow. Let's keep going. How about Jesus on Cheeto? 
Because apparently he likes all kinds of snacks to give us messages. It isn't just lays. He spreads it around, right? This man said, I was fixing to eat it, ma'am, when I saw that image. I mean, is it clear to you guys? It's clear to me. Uh, if maybe you're smoking again, something, I don't know, whatever. But uh, he says, man, I, I, I don't think the heavenly choir actually started singing, but in my mind they did. Okie dokie. How about Jesus on a bruise? Yep, that's the actual picture there, in case, unless you guys don't believe it. She thought it was a sign. Now listen to this. She took this as a sign that, quote, Jesus wants us to ride around in cars with boys, and he's telling us that it's uh, okay, and that I need a cooler cell phone. Now, are you ever going to get that message from a bruise if you read the Bible? No. And the Bible doesn't tell you to look at your bruise to get a message from God. It's crazy, folks. How about Jesus on, on a cell phone? We mentioned cell phones. The guy says this, hey, man, the message I got, the, he was telling me that he was with me. Uh, just to be sure it wasn't a hoax, they even checked to see the image, if it was preloaded with the phone or had been sent to her, she said. Apparently, it was a divine miracle. They saw Jesus on her phone. How about on an Xbox? He's into gaming, too. He's reaching all kinds of people, right? Uh, this package, supposedly, is an image of Jesus, he's, and he said, uh, and he didn't alter the package in any way. Mm-mm, this is real stuff. Uh, uh, it, it's a natural occurrence beyond my understanding, or even on a pulpit. You know, uh, yeah, thank you. I just looked at that thing. Uh, I squinted. I looked. I stared. I can't find it, but anyway, whatever. But apparently, you have to go to Jubilee Fellowship Church to see it and have the right anointing or something. I don't know. A member say you can see the face of Jesus on the pulpit, uh, but only after it was revarnished for some reason. Someone from the church knows the profile, what they believe is Jesus Christ. A, a, a door. All kinds of furniture, Jesus, you know, because apparently this Bible stuff is an old hat. Who needs that anymore? We just need to look at furniture now. Uh, the guy said, my old closet door is very curious, wood grain pattern on it, and, and many people over the years have said it looks exactly like Jesus holding out his hand. Did you guys see that? Man, that's about as clear as nothing. <laughs> Jesus on iron. Yeah, so he's gone from furniture to appliances. Because we don't need Bibles anymore, folks. This is the new spirit of God. He's moving on a whole different level if you're in tune with it, right? But she, and, and her life is just, she's okay now because of this. Let's take a look at that one. Jesus is on my iron. You see his head there, his hair, his eyes, his nose. On last Sunday, the door was shut. I opened the door. And I looked down and I see this image staring at me. And I was like, my first reaction was, that's an image of Jesus looking at me. I was like, okay, you're crazy. I picked it up, looked at it again. He's still there. I don't know, be a reminder right now that things are going to be good and get better. Not a Bible verse. Not Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good, right? God will take care of you. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider, right? Even though you're going to go through hard times, God's in control his sovereignty, not his eternal security, not the good news of the gospel. I saw a stain on my iron. Life is going to be good. I'm telling you, folks, you, this mindset produces this. And the world looks at this. You know what they do? <laughs> you wackos. And we have to deal with it. We get lumped into it. They don't know the difference between They say, oh, you're all Christians like that. Right? Let's continue on. Jesus on the guitar. Because now he's into the music uh, industry, Rob. So pay attention. Right? He said, I've been here for 27 years, man. I, I've never seen anything close to this. The face is so clear. Let me repeat that again. The face is so clear. Do you see it? I don't. Uh, it reminded me of the shrouded turn, and we know who that was. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Jesus on a tree. You know, in case you're outside, he wants to get a message to you, right? Uh, attempting to find solace one time, and listen, facing imminent disclosure, here comes your word of encouragement. The couple discovered that that tree had an image of Jesus appeared on the knot hole in their tree, 
Okay, and the couple believes it's a sign that something good has come their way. Not a Bible verse. A knot hole. Let's move on. She's on a rock. He's into all kinds of nature. Uh, the lady said she was riding a bus. She just happened to look out the window, and there it was. And her friend believes that the image is there to watch over him. Rocks are watching over you. We don't need to read the Bible that says God is our rock. He's our fortress, our high tower, our deliverer, our strong defense. No, I need to just look at a rock until apparently I see an image of Jesus. And Okay, let's just move on. Another friend says uh, since the lady needs a kidney, the image is a sign she's going to be okay because she saw a rock. Wow. How about a ceiling stain, right? Because he's trying to get your attention wherever you go, apparently. Skip the Bible, just go straight to this, apparently. Dominique Sarton, a staff member at Body Shop, said, I think it's a silhouette and kind of a partial beard. Now, here's the unfortunate news, folks. Maybe their faith wasn't as strong as it needed to be that day. She said if it had leaked a little bit more, it would have been a beard on the other side, too. Mm. Man. But they're going to sell it on eBay. You know, get some cash out of it. Speaking of which, individual in southeast Kansas uh, uh, saw a strange stain on the tongue of his new shoe. And upon further inspections, as you guys can clearly see, it was the image of Jesus Christ, right? Well, hey, not to lose on a good deal. He listed on eBay too. Oh, but, but of course, it's the portion is going to go to the church ministry because Jesus is on his shoe. Let's move on. How about a lava lamp? Now, doesn't that sound groovy? Huh? He said, I've been going through a hard, tough time, man. And I was praying for a divine sign from God that I was not alone, that all would work out fine. And there it was, a revelation from God on a lava lamp. His life turned around. He don't need the Bible no more. His life turned around, that lava lamp right there. A pita bread, right? Pita bread, man, I don't think, you, if you've ever never eaten it, you better start eating it right now. This guy in New Zealand, he woke up to cook some pita bread. There it is right there, folks. He said, oddly enough, one piece looked like the face of Jesus. Listen to this. He said, I was tempted to eat it. But for some reason, I didn't. That's divine intervention right there, folks, because we would have missed out on this message from God. Jesus on a rotten potato. Now, I talk about rotten. I wish I was making this one up. Listen to this. This is going on in a, a, a church. Renee said she'd been looking for an excuse to get out of make a potato salad. You know, those potlucks, they cause a lot of conflict. Uh, quote, I was hesitant about making the potato salad because Sister Frankie makes the potato salad at church. And I said, Lord, if it's not for me to, to make a potato salad, then send me a sign. She got her sign right off the bat, folks. She split it in half, and there you go. God told her not to make potato salad. I mean, it's obvious. What are you laughing about? Because this is how God communicates now, through split rotten potatoes. Let's move on. How about Jesus on just about everything? I don't have time to go with the whole thing. He's uh, Jesus on a dog door, x-ray, Jesus on a moth, Jesus on a cat, Jesus on a wheel, which I'm thinking was the inspiration for that song, Jesus Take the Wheel, because maybe he appeared on the wheel, and they said, oh, yeah, whatever. They can make it up. I'll make it up too. Uh, Jesus on a pretzel. Jesus on a spoon. And who could forget? Oh yeah, he's reaching even the lost. Jesus on a beer bottle. Right here, folks. The guy says, "When I saw it, man, I got goose pimples." I have no doubt that it's the face of Jesus. Can you guys see that? I can't either. Uh, you, but you can even see his beard and hair. Maybe after a few more beers, I don't know. And if you join that other couple that was smoking something, I don't know. Uh, I don't recommend that, by the way, but uh, the article said the devil is constantly at work from stopping these kinds of signs spreading from God, right? Because we need this more than the Bible. And it, listen, oh, it ended up getting collected by a barmaid when nobody was paying attention. They threw it away. Oh, man, that could encourage so many people. Jesus on the toilet seat. Now, I bring this home because guess where this happened? Here in Las Vegas. 
This lady said she's going through hard times. It made our local news, and she said she's encouraged because Jesus appeared on a toilet seat. That's not the advertising we need, folks, but let's take a look. Yes, you could call it the Royal Flush. Magdalena Nelson's guest bathroom screams, I love Las Vegas. <laughs> I get a little choked up because it's so silly and it's so funny, but it really just made my day. It really made my day. And by that, she's referring to what she says appeared while she was cleaning. The face of Jesus came out. Take a look. Do you see it? Look closer. I said, holy, and... I went from every angle, and I looked, and I looked, and I called my boyfriend in, and it was there. What did you think when your girlfriend said, I see Jesus in a bumper sticker on our toilet? I thought it was ridiculous, and I thought she was crazy. But once he looked closer, he says he now sees the image plain and clear. So do you think that it might, there's something to it? Oh, I hope so. It, it, it's, it's helped us feel better. Like. We've been kind of going through tough times. It's kind of brought us up a little bit, brought our spirits up that day. And now they say praying to the porcelain god has taken on a whole new meaning. Ever since Magdalena discovered the sign on Thursday, she says this bathroom is literally off limits to the family. Magdalena says she'll protect the image as long as she can. And however it got there, she believes timing is everything. So when I saw that, it was just, bing, okay, we're going to be all right. No matter what. The economy's in the toilet, but maybe we're going to be all right. I'm encouraged. We're going to be all right because I saw Jesus on a toilet seat sticker. Wow. You wonder why it's so hard to witness today? How could anybody, here's my whole premise. How can anybody fall for any of this? Jesus on a potato chip, a Cheeto, a bruise, a toilet seat, a cat, a rock. A ceiling stain, Enri Cristo singing pop songs with hot chicks on his motorcycle, saying he's Jesus. I-35 really means Isaiah 35. Let's shave our beards and armpits because I-15, hey, I'm quoting scripture. How can any of that, how could that even get this far? Because you have a movement going on a movement going on says this is not good enough. Now they won't say that because that's, everybody knows that's blasphemy. But you say you follow this, but you really don't. Your whole modus of operandus is outside of this, God told me I'm a prophet, I'm apostle, I get a new revelation when this is all we need. And Jesus warned specifically in the last days, you better watch out that nobody deceives you. And I'm telling you that mindset, I am firmly convinced in our day and it's escalating. Why do you think we've been in this study for 34 weeks now? Is preparing people to be duped for the deceit in the seven-year tribulation because nobody can be duped, again, if you just stick with this. But what's the trend? Even Protestant churches who are not into this kind of charismatic behavior, even Protestant churches aren't even teaching this. Do you think that's by chance? So you combine that charismatic mindset to get outside the Bible and now the Protestant churches refuse to teach the Bible and you tell me the seven-year tribulation ain't getting close. People are so easily today to be deceived about spiritual things and this doesn't help, including, again, from this guy, William Branham, who claimed to be a prophet of God and believe it or not, he still, even though he's long dead, about two million people still consider themselves Brannanites, followers of him, 
they literally not only say that he's a prophet, but that he is on par with Jesus and that his words are on par with the scripture. Now, this was a guy, again, what was our context? The 50s healing revival. He was one of the main headliners along with Oral Roberts that came out of this group. But obviously, unfortunately, we're gonna have to pick up on him and then probably into Oral Roberts in our next study because I don't wanna gloss over this. This is a major, major uh, source of massive false teaching today just from this guy because he was a prophet. He had a new word from God outside this book and it's not true. But let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ... Uh, it has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. 
to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior, if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.